Hi, I'm Afonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Meisenheimer. And tonight was the night that we've been waiting for for a long time. That's right, folks. Tonight, Steve and I are going to break down Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings as uh, the second film in Marvel Phase 4. Michael, are you ready? I haven't seen it, so you can't break it down. So we, oh. sadly, we're not going to get into that. But we are going to marvel at a few other things in this episode. We're going to sit down for a chat with Whitecap CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster. And then we'll unpack a little bit of what he has to say. A lot to talk about, uh, obviously, after a busy week in Whitecaps land. We're going to look at the firing of Mark DeSantis, the search for a new coach and a lot of other aspects of it all as well. And then in the second part, we're going to turn our attentions to the international stage, the Canadian national team. They've kicked off the octagon. Didn't quite go how we were really hoping for it to go, but we'll we'll delve all into that in the second part of the show as well. So let's start things off with our chat with Axel Schuster. As I mentioned, I didn't get a chance to jump on the conference call with him after Mark's dismissal last week. So I had a a lot of questions I was looking to ask him. So we, we had half an hour with him today. We'll bring you that to kick off the show and then we'll unpack a little bit of what he said. So go make yourself a hot beverage, grab your favourite biscuit of choice and enjoy our chat with Axel S. So thank you so much for for joining us to, today, Axel. I, I know it's been a a very trying and testing kind of week or so in in the build up to to our chat today. I mean, we last spoke uh, at Starlight Stadium on Wednesday after training. It was you, me, Mark, Zach. I mean, at that point, did you have any thought in your mind that Mark was going to be let go? Yeah, it's, it would be, I think, not right to say that it was not already in my mind that things like that can happen. Not saying that I was expecting that it would happen on Friday. And uh, I said that last week, the decision process took me a whole night. 
if that is now really the right moment, but uh, there have been some thoughts to that before that uh, I maybe I would be maybe in this situation, or I will end up in this situation. And uh, there have been a lot of reasons that I have brought up already last week, uh, why I thought that that can happen. Um, we were looking at the development and we were looking um, how the process of development was, how the process of the development was, especially after we had all pieces together. Um, and I think the game on Thursday was such a big setback uh, in regards of everything we expect our team to be and how our team looks and, and what our team, uh, what kind of, of approach our team should have that... Uh, after a long, long night, I thought it's the right moment to do it now. Before, I, I'm frustrated about myself that I missed the momentum and have not done it at the moment like this one. And, and uh, I have, uh, we have passed on more time and we have given up a chance to get more points um, then, yeah, in the end. But as always, you never know before. You have to take a decision at the moment where... You as a decider, it's challenging you because uh, it can go in both directions and you have to do what you're convinced of. And I was completely convinced of and I would not never have him. And so there was never an imagine. I never would thought that that uh, the game on Sunday looks then like that, like it looked. And um, obviously going now from this game, I think we, we are back on the road. That's the important thing. Yeah, I mean, I I said this a few weeks ago. At the end of that RSL game, the four 0 defeat, like the the bad stretch of games, I I could have seen him being let go. Then I I genuinely thought that might have been the time to to do it. The timing though, after eight league games undefeated, it just it looks a little strange. But I mean, obviously you've got your reasons. We we won't rehash those because you covered over that Marks was on CTV and he, he kind of said that he felt the trust had gone from both you to him and him to you or you as the club not you personally would you agree with that yeah um, I can only speak for myself and the club and obviously if you if you uh, uh, terminate the con contract with the coach or you you do a change on the coaching position, then obviously what Mark says is right because then definitely uh, the trust is gone. Otherwise, he would not do it. Um, and so I I would say it was the trust in in the process in the in the in the that the development isn't going into the right direction. It is really not the trust in him as a person, as a coach. Yes, there would have been other moments where we could have done that. And you brought it up after the RSL game. But I'm very thankful and I want to use this interview as well to say thank you to Mark. He has uh, led us through very difficult times. And uh, we had very, very difficult uh, 16 months uh, where we have been gone on the road. We have been uh, disconnected from our families altogether. We, we, we all have been together in that and he was leading a group um, at a time where it was not easy to lead a group because you had you had to respect and 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 uh, 
um, understand that uh, everyone was going to tough moments throughout all the 60 months. Um, and, and he kept this group very well together. So I have, I have not seen one moment where you had the feeling that the group has given up or that we have shown the wrong mentality or the wrong, wrong uh, work ethic in our games. Uh, I think a lot of credit to him. Um, uh, the problem was that uh, now as we are back and we had all pieces together, we expected uh, our team to play with a different approach, with a special approach, uh, with the approach that we are looking for and that the team makes a step forward on the performance side, uh, not only on the result side. And uh, I think it's my job to, to evaluate that and to, to take decisions at the right time and not at the moment where everyone knows that it now has to happen um, because then it's too late. So if I, I always say no, nobody else has the full insight because nobody else is here every day. Nobody else sees every single person every day has the chance to speak with every player, staff member, uh, every person around and have this connection with the coaching staff as well. So if I don't feel and see it before everyone else, then I would not do a good job. And for that reason, uh, maybe it was surprising for some people, but I th still think it was exactly at the right moment. Last thing on this, because I want to look more towards the, the future, because the past is past. Nothing, nothing can change that. That's just how I, I look at things uh, in life. But I think a lot of us maybe thought, Mark wasn't going to be back next year anyway, whether because you didn't want him back as a club or whether he wanted a new challenge. Would it have been more difficult to get rid of him, say, at the end of the season if the club had made the playoffs? And did that timing or did any financial aspect or money lost from not advancing in the Canadian Championship, did any of that play factors into it? You're speaking with one guy that was... Uh a decision maker uh, at the club that just got promoted from second Bundesliga to first Bundesliga and changed the coach six days before the first Bundesliga game. Uh, I would say uh, with that, uh, I would not have any problems to take a decision at the time, at any time when I think it's the right thing. We, we I, I told you there was... There was also pressure on me after that decision. And uh, it was uh, the moment where I had to take a decision that maybe people don't understand. And obviously it could go the other way. And uh, we lose the first game since a long time in the, in the league. And people would say, yeah, but why has he done that now? So I have to take the decisions at the moment where I think they're right. Um, and, and that's the basis of my decision. And if that would have been after the season um you there is a nice saying in the success you often make the biggest mistakes so i i always try um to to, to not make decisions in in an emotional moment uh, and also that was the reason it was easy after the game in an emotion to say it's over and out but that was the reason why i really wanted to explain how long it took me and how much uh, people I have involved to not take the wrong decision in emotions after that game. And basic on, based on the facts and the, the imagination uh, that I had already since, since a few weeks. Yeah, I think anyone that, that saw yourself and, and Jeff Mallet after that game knew 
like it, it the defeat her and it it wasn't it wasn't a great defeat before we move on just to kind of lighten the mood i do want to talk to you about ordering burgers at 1am that is not good for your metabolism you you i i'm a, a late snacker it's not a good thing <laughs> i think that was the smallest problem in that night <laughs> um right looking ahead then Obviously, whenever there's a vacancy at a club like the Whitecaps, and I think with what the Whitecaps have done and what you're building and the potential at the club just now, it is quite a prized position. Have you been inundated with, with people getting in touch, kind of feeling you out, expressing their interest already? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the weird part of our business, uh. Uh, and a good part of our business at, uh, in another way. Uh, I was I was even, uh, yeah, making a bet how long it takes. And it took two minutes after the, the announcement that the first message came in. So, um, yeah, if one door closes, another door goes, uh, opens up and people, and a lot of people want to step through this door, I can say, uh, we we were just making uh, uh, we, are, we were just collecting all the names and all the the names that have been brought up. So names that that not we have approached names that have been brought up by agents. We are we are now crossing the 180 number of people of names. So we are close to the 200. I think we will cross that bar later this week. Um, but uh, we uh, and thank you to. To the team uh, with the with the result and the way the team played um, that bought us some time to to really think about the profile to think what uh, is the search mask what are the skills our coach has to have first um, i uh, i asked more or less everyone in this organization uh, that is connected with the team the question to send me his his three um points or the three things a head coach has to have first for him in our club and uh, we we have also approached a few names and there are a few also thinking about the whole uh, situation um, so we are in the process and we believe in this process we believe that when he and his crew is doing the best job they can do to get another result at the weekend uh, we will keep the, uh, uh, holding the team accountable for giving another performance like the last one, to put in the right effort again, to have the same discipline defensively and, and uh, structurally and, and to work again as a team that closely together to make it very hard to score against us and, and then with the quality up top to score. And um, who knows how things go on. <laughs> I, I I can really not give any more detail than than about the whole process um, because this business is special and um, we have we have seen so many things happening in our, in in other scenarios comparable to that that uh, I I cannot say anything more than that we have a strong process. That we again want to sign the right profile, a profile that fits to us, and not somebody who comes in and explains us how MLS works or how he works and who wants to change everything, because we have a strong belief that we're building here something, and that we're building it in the, into the right direction. And uh, 
Um, so saying that um, it will maybe take us some time and maybe we find the ideal candidate uh, at some point when the, and he will be here. And maybe when he continues to win every single game and we we continue to 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 do the process uh and and yeah who knows <laughs> i'm not saying anything about it but uh, it would not be the first time hansi flick is today uh he played his first game as national team coach and and who would thought that he can win the the not only the triple he won i think five or six cups in one year and he was uh he was uh, uh the the acting head coach uh for only few games at the beginning and end up being the most successful coach in the history of Bayern Munich in one year. Well, yeah, I mean, you just have to look at Brian Schmitzer in Seattle as well. When he took over, not many people there, they thought it was a strange appointment. And then you see the success that, that he's done. And you, you talked uh, in the press conference last week, you were asked about MLS experience. And you said, as long as it's part of the coaching team, that's important. If you look though, like MLS, it's such a weird league. If you look at a lot of the the teams that's won it in the last few years, it's been with American coaches. It's been with guys that that do know the the league. I mean, how much stock do do you put in that, or do you feel coaching is coaching around the world? And if you're the guy that can get the best out of the players, that's the most important thing. Yeah, first of all, coaching is coaching. Because I would even question, was there a chance to get high quality coaches from other countries in? Um, because I think the league uh, in has now a history and of, of development and it became becomes more attractive and better every single year. Um, so I think now the league is also in the focus of as few other players as we see. So high, more high quality players are coming to the league and the same probably will happen on the coaching side. I think Tata Martinez is a very good example that it can also work the other way around so that it has not to be a, a, a domestic coach. But what I would say and where I totally agree um, that this league uh, and whoever signs into this league and, and wants to be a successful coach has to understand this league very well, has to understand the player profile, the player type that you have here uh, very well and has to understand the limitations with that you have to work, also with the union rights, um, with, 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 the, uh, with the long travels you have, um, with um, um, the the mix of players you have because you you still ha will have also in future a strong domestic player pool that has a different basis of de de development and education than maybe players coming in from from other markets so you have to uh, you, you it, it's necessary that you have a proven record that you have worked with a similar type of player pool somewhere else and I think the thing where coaches have struggled in this league is if they come back and try to continue what they did in a very, very good league or in a league that is very technical, for example, and they just try to, to, to use their, their way of doing things 
and to, to copy paste it here to the league because that doesn't work. Um, so I would not limit it to only domestic coaches, but I would limit it to a profile that you find in all domestic coaches, but it doesn't only exist uh, domestically. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes total sense. And I, I think with the Whitecaps, and obviously all the other hirings have happened but before your time here, but the the last couple of hirings, in fact, all, all the hirings in the MLS era, they've all been lower tier managers that are getting tested at the higher tier for the first time. Maybe you can say Tater Torterson because he had international experience with, with Estonia. That, that's, that's different. But all the other managers, Martin Rennie, he'd won things at uh, lower level. Uh, Carl Robinson obviously hadn't and he was just promoted. And then Mark had obviously won things before as well. Now, a lot of the fan base, they, they don't want that kind of appointment again. They want someone that's done it at a higher level. I, I don't think that that is as important because, and I, I'm just throwing this name out there, not for you to comment on, but someone like Bobby Smyrniotis at Forge FC. So he's won back-to-back championships. He's done it in CONCACAF. He's brought, he's got a history of bringing forward through young guys with Sigma. I, I still think there is scope to look at a guy that's done it at the lower level and can be successful in MLS. But are you getting the sense as well that the feeling around the club or the feeling around the fan base is it has to be somebody that's done it at a higher level? Yeah, and then we can start to discuss what is a higher level than MLS because, uh, in my opinion, the higher level than MLS is only five leagues and not even every club in those five leagues. Because uh, if you go through through uh, the Spanish league or the Italian league and you look at the smallest clubs in those leagues, um, I would say that almost every club in MLS uh, is bigger and has a has a has a better setup, a better environment, uh, a better setup also in their academies. Um, and I only want to copy what, uh, for example, Ryan Gold said. He has never has never had the chance to be in such a facility like ours. So he has played in some big clubs. So is that now a higher level? The coaches that have been in those clubs where he was before so i i as somebody who totally believe in the development of mls would say no so yes and then to get a coach from a higher level is almost impossible so because uh, then then we speak uh, about a very limited group and again i don't want to limit to that what i want to say is definitely for us and that is maybe different to the coaches we had before the, the guy who's coming in here has to have a proven record of making a team immediately better without big investments because we don't want to change things. We will not change the team. We will not sign five new players next year because the, the coach has a different style, a different approach. And he has to have a proven record of developing players to a, to a higher level and to increase the quality of the players um, that's something that is definitely uh, a, a search criteria and it ex- excludes a lot of coaches that are very good assistants, for example, somewhere. And I really don't doubt that they may be a very good coach, but it's not our search mass for this time. So, so that, <laughs> uh, again, 
I am I have no problem to sign somebody who was a coach at a lower level than MLS because there are a lot of lower levels, very very challenging lower levels than MLS, um, and um, because I'm I my history as everyone knows was that I was a decider at a club that gave Jurgen Klopp the first time in his life the chance to become a head coach. Thomas Tuchel, the, the, the first time in his life, the chance to become a head coach in a professional game because he was a very, very successful coach in, in the youth and he won the German championship as a youth coach. Uh, I was a decider in a club where Domenico Tedesco, uh, who won German championships in the youth, became the first time uh, after six, only being six months a coach in the second German league, become the first time a first league coach and finished second in the league. Uh, and now, after that, in his next job, finished second in Russia. So I say it's more about this quality of the coach. And there are very, very high-quality, high-skilled coaches in, in leagues that we would define as minor leagues. But again, um, we don't limit our search to any, any thought of that. Uh, at the end, the coach can come from everywhere as long as we think that he has the right skills. The the club in the past was always criticised for not spending on players, and I think they've kind of shed that image a little bit with some of the, the signings in the last couple of seasons. What they've never done, though, is kind of like burst the bank to get a manager in. Are you prepared if you see the right man and it's going to cost a bit of money to get him here, you would make that move? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, but again, um, I, I was part of a process to come here. Um, and uh, I think money uh, and the city should never be the reason why somebody signs somewhere. And I don't want somebody that signs because, hey, you, I get good dollars in Vancouver and the city is amazing. And there's I can spend them very well in a lot of nice restaurants and sitting at the seaside. So, um, but... If the guy that has all, all the skills and the guy that has everything that it needs to be to be our guy in, in our search has a pedigree and has an experience and has an expectation that is justified, then we are up to, to, to satisfy, to, 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 to make the bid that is necessary. Um, but um, I think that this league is really moving to the right direction to try not to convince people with money anymore because uh, this league as, as a way minor and young league had to do that at some point. But uh, if somebody calls me and said, hey, this coach would not be, now be up with all his experience, um, but you have to understand he has an offer from China and he can get 5 million, I say, good luck in China. We are not China and uh, we should not play that game. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty co convinced that we have a budget that is big enough to convince the right one. And talking of like bringing folk in and spending money, there is still a, an open designated player spot. There's a chance to add a free agent before the roster freeze. Is that something that's likely or is that probably going to have to wait to the next window now in January? Possible, but it's not that... We are desperate to do that now. Uh, we are desperate to do it in, in winter. Um, we all know about the open spot, but um, uh, we are more looking at the chance if somebody 
uh, still remains to be a free agent now after all windows closed and somebody has pokered in the wrong way. And uh, he is a great opportunity or possibility for us now, and we can be a good possibility for him. But it's not that uh, we are everywhere in the market to fill another role and the spot. We think that uh, we have a group together that is good enough to go to the playoffs and it need, doesn't need to push. And then for next year, um, if you want to continue to build in the next step, um, we want to add the right guy again. And uh, I, I hope that with the signing of Ryan Gold and the impact he has here, uh, people have a little bit more trust in, in our process that all our process also takes sometimes a little bit more time or that our process uh, that we are not up to sign, as I always said, the first one, we want to sign the right one and uh, that uh, we will take all time to find the right one because if the right one has such an impact like then Ryan Gold and if the next right one also has such an impact, I think we are in a way good way. Yeah, just look in Scotland. That's clearly the, the answer for you. Um, <laughs> Scotland is the answer for all problems. It, it definitely is. That's why I left it. Um, <laughs> just the very last thing, just before you go, obviously the next coach, it's a big appointment. It's a huge thing for the club. It has to be right to take the club to the next level, to win the fans back, to, to take the next step. Do you feel under pressure do you feel your job is on the line if this doesn't work out no i'm not thinking that way because otherwise i would maybe start to think about security solutions or things like that um only to to protect myself so i i i, um, I don't feel on the line i i i have a strong belief that we are here in a process that's going into the right direction if i see our team playing on sunday uh I, I see a team that is playing in the way we we were always speaking about how a team should look like and how we want to win games in this league. Um, so um, it's another very, very important missing piece now, um, the head coach. And uh, I know that the head coach can have a huge impact to make a next step and maybe even just jump and do, do, do two steps if he's the right one. For that reason, I don't feel pressured. Um, a lot of guys reach out. We sent you the profile three days ago. Are you up now to meet him? And I said, no, we are not even ready to 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 think uh, to to make a shortlist yet. Um, and again, um, we all know what we have with Renny. We have taken this decision uh, a while ago to make it into the head of methodology. He is our coach developer. And um, so we, it's not like the, we, that I have to coach the team because that definitely would be a bad idea. So um, let, us, let us focus on the next game. That's the first thing we do every week. That's also the first thing I do every week now to support Venny and the staff and everyone to have the best possible, um, um, the best possible support to, to get a result in the next game. And then um, uh, we have a good group here together that is working on the process. And uh, if the right one is there, we will definitely sign him. And as long as he is not here, we continue to do uh, to work with this group. Thank you, as always, for your time, Axel. I know you've got to go now. Always fun chatting. Take care. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me and have a great day.
Axel S, Axel Schuster there, Whitecaps CEO and General Manager. So we're going to unpack a few of the things that, that he said there. And I think there was a, a lot of honesty there. I mean, we'll kick things off. His admission. He had thought about getting rid of MDS earlier in the year. That RSL loss before the break seemed like the time where it was a chance for him to do that. And he said, Zach, he's frustrated with himself for not doing it at that point. And the points that may have been lost by delaying. So after that defeat against Pacific, he thought, that's the catalyst. It's now or not now or never, but it's like now's the time to do it. And despite them being on that eight-game run, he just felt there was not that advancement, there was not that development, so this was the time. Are you surprised that he has said that they had considered it before, or is that kind of a foregone conclusion, really? Well, I think, yes, it is a foregone conclusion. I also think that, um, like you guys corrected me on, I believe, our last episode, I think he can say whatever he wants now because... If they're not successful to making the playoffs, you're right. It's not going to hang on him. It's going to hang on. They're going to leave it hanging on MDS, right? Like so, I, I think he can kind of speak freely as he did with you, um, because he's, there's not a lot of concern for him about 2021. I don't think. No, I mean Steve. We talked. We thought that was probably the time for him to go in the summer. And I, I don't know how many points you can see that they dropped in, in that run of games, but, I mean, there's five draws in there. Do you really think having Vanny Tartini kicking things off after that ISL game would have got a lot more points on the board? No, I don't. Like, there are games. There were games that they definitely could have, like, on the paper they should have won. Like, the Houston game, they drew that nil-nil. That was mm-hmm. potentially something they could have won. But um, but other than that, but then you got games in there like the game against the Galaxy, that was not expected. They won that game two one. They beat LAFC two one. So they actually, if you overall like the whole analytics expected points, they mm. they I, I believe they probably got more points than they should have uh, compared to the, uh, the the teams they were playing. Yes, the four nil loss that was devastating. And the run before that, they had a long run without a win. Yeah. So that makes sense that if they wanted to do it. But looking back on it, making the reasoning that, oh, if they had done it, pulled the trigger sooner, that they might have gained points. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. It's clear, though, that Axel has felt for a while that Mark was not the guy to, to lead this team forward. And, I mean, he mentioned it there again. Development of players, development of the team. And... I mean, it, it it sounds pretty clear that he just felt that MDS was not able to get the best out of this group of players. And when you see how they played on Sunday and you see other little flashes here and there, it's kind of hard to argue with that, really, Zach, because, I mean, this is a good group of players. And I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe he just didn't get the best out of them. Yeah, and that's the ongoing debate that really won't be answered until they make the playoffs or not. I think what Mark said before, and I think if you ask Mark now, is he feels they were in a very good place to make the playoffs and they should make the playoffs based on who they have now and what looks to be a mostly complete squad. 
and uh, the trajectory they're on, they're on. Yeah, and I mean, Axel, I, I brought up Mark's comment there that he gave to CTV about the trust was gone, and Axel says, I can't speak for anyone else, just my, myself, and yeah, Mark's right. When a manager has been sacked, it's because the trust is gone. So, I mean, very, very open with what he said there. Now, I want to give a little bit of feedback from the last show. Now, the last show that we had, but we got some really good feedback, some some mixed feedback, and I just want to go over a, a couple of, of the things here. Now, the first one I want to go over, I totally agree with this. BL Herzlite on Twitter said, it's unfortunate you didn't have someone on the show who was pro the MDS firing. A lot of people on social media were wanting him gone after the Pacific game, and I don't think we were a minority. It was time for the Whitecaps to move on. And yeah, I think that's very fair. All four of us. I genuinely thought Navid would have been the guy that was all for yeah. for the firing. So that's why yeah. I didn't ask you guys. I just wrongly. No. I oh, no, that- I I totally agree with you. I expected coming into that that even because Navid has been uh, open with his analysis of yeah. of how he reviews the stats on Mark's record in comparison, especially to Carl Robinson. Um, and so, yeah, I thought for sure he was going to say, um, kind of come from that perspective and and if you will balance out our discussion a little bit more. I was surprised like you were. Well, the thing is, is like I had no problem like with the firing. That, that wasn't, he, had a, he didn't feel like I had a huge problem. There was some um, reasoning behind it that I had an issue with. And also, um, I didn't think Mark DeSantos was coming back next year either. Yeah. yeah. So, and so for me, the firing, I didn't feel like it was going to make a difference positively or negatively towards the team. I thought the team was set. Like I, I thought the team was actually on an upswing because of the addition of uh, Ryan Gold and everything. Yeah, and again, and again, that comes back to one of the things we talked about last week in terms of I really think one of the clinching things aside from losing the Voyagers Cup was the fact that they, like Steve said, they weren't gonna, they didn't want to bring him back. And if he had made it, if he had qualified for the playoffs. It would have been harder for them from a public perception. Why? Or sorry, no. it, could, it could have it could have been harder yeah. for them from a public perception wise to to bring him back. Maybe not from the dialed in people, but yeah. from like just the general sports fan. They'd be like, they made the playoffs. Why are they firing the coach? No, no, he would he would have to make the conference finals in order for yeah, him. To I, play. You know, that's yeah, maybe I don't. That's maybe and fair. I don't. I don't see that. I don't see that no. happening. Like they're they're just making the playoffs would have been a big deal. Uh, I mean, I, I so I didn't know this when he revealed it in the chat and maybe it was something that that you knew zach but it's like he was with a team that got promoted i'm mm-hmm. assuming it was mainz and then yep. they sacked their manager before the the new season started the manager that had got them promoted oh i'd have to look at that but yeah I, that, sounds, that sounds like mainz uh, interestingly um at east fife we had a guy that won our first championship for 60 years didn't start the next season very well and the fans were hounding him out the door after just a few games in. That's just kind of what, what football fans are like. And but, I, I, I understand the list of what the listeners are saying, but you yeah. can't force, uh, like, and you can't be searching around for somebody that's pro. If it no. happens to be that all of us agree, then all of us agree, yeah, it doesn't make for, you know, scintillating podcasting, but yeah. you can't fake it. And, and, no. again, and, and again, I think your perspective is really important, Michael. I, we, I think, really expected... <laughs> Naveen to kind of to be that, that guy on that, on that issue. I, I, I want to 
kind of balance it though by, by reading some some tweets that, that we did have about it. So, I mean, Greg Petrie at Erdem World said, I don't blame MDS for his first year. That's all in the front office. Last year was COVID. Or I don't blame him for struggling to score before gold. But they've been poor defensively the whole year. And I think yeah. it is more on him. The Canadian Championship game was a justifiable final straw for his dismissal. And I, I like a good conspiracy theory, but the, he was fired because the finance guys were counting on going further in that competition doesn't hold since they had no guarantee of any home games for it this year. But I think it's the long-term thing in, in that regard is more of what we were meaning because if you make Champions League, you get all yeah. the, the stuff well, it, that goes it, with it that. Is, it is absolutely a part of their budgeting structure to make it to a certain point in the Voyager's Cup. It's absolutely. They... They, they, I don't know, I don't know how much the, the dollar amounts are with each round, but they are. When they found out which where they were, they they were not uh, expecting to go out in that round. They were expecting mm. to advance one or two or three rounds for sure. And and hundred percent agree with the defensive liability that yeah that should have been like they, that's been going on for too long for the Whitecaps. No matter it seems like who the coach is, yeah, it's it's I, it's, it's been a breakdown for a long time. And without rehashing what we spoke to about at the weekend, it's like when you see Florian Youngworth come in and you're like, why was this guy signed and sitting on the bench for all these games when you see the difference that he made in the middle of that defence? Um, my feeling is that, that uh, again, Mark DeSantos had his people that he liked, yeah. but the people upstairs didn't want those those guys in the starting lineup, like Jake, like Andy Rose, and he, they wanted other people. And that didn't happen. Yeah, probably for very good reason, though. Uh, Hookie says, yes, the club were right to get rid of him. Sad because he seems like a good guy and he went through a lot. He helped move the club forward as an identity, pushing reorganisation, teamwork. But ultimately, he couldn't turn it to wins, period. No owner blame BS. Have to be accountable. If you say that MDS knew what he was getting into, then you have to take out the ownership, management, and financial bias BS. So did MDS deliver? No. And following up on that, this one's more aimed at you, Zach. This was an email I got from uh, Brinsley, who said, again, the narrative that he was shortchanged spending and resource that Zach puts forward is so ridiculous, and his mind-numbing bias is beyond hard to take. Mark had his hands on the wheel and he failed. He obviously wasn't good enough for the job. He should have been fired a year ago. With the players he had, even half-decent coach at this level would have done way better. Great decision to axe him now, no pun intended. It is pro sports, not amateur hour. Yeah, I, I think he, I think he's listening to my old comments in the past. I, 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 I don't think I said that he didn't... He... Like MDS was given a, a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of like, especially transfer fees. What I was saying is the the wages of the levels of players he was given was disappointing. That that's all. Like, yeah, I know a lot of people don't like him. They think he should be gone. That's good. He's gone. They yeah. can move on. Yeah, I, I, as we will as well. There, there was a couple of other um, people like Soccer Culture Canada and Taylor Stephen as well. They they were surprised that he went now in the timing of it. But we will move on because that's what we need to do. Um, and we've got to look at the new boss or the new potential boss. Now, from the signs of what Axel said there, it's not going to be a surprise if Vanni Sartini sees the season out because they, they're not going to be in a rush. Now, Axel said he had a little bet as to how long it would take 
before the first note of interest came through an email or text to him after Mark's sacking was announced. Two minutes it took for someone to say that they were interested in the job, which is an interesting (laughs) development. They've had over 180 notes of interest um, and names that's been put forward uh, as potential and agents getting in touch and stuff like that. I genuinely feel this is quite a prime job because you've got an exciting DP now. You've got other exciting players there. You've got a fan base that can be really good. I think it really is a a position that a lot of managers would want. The problem is, is how good a quality are the people interested? We just don't know. That is the thing. Because if it was somebody of high quality... Don't you think they would have hired him right away? Why are they waiting for the hire that person? I so, but you don't want to rush into just having the first person. You want to get the right person. But if that I'm saying, like Axel now. What I'm what I'm saying is, is that if there's a hundred whatever eighty people, you said. I can't yeah, remember. he thinks it'll be over two hundred by the end of the week. But if there's a hundred eighty people, one of those has to be the right guy. If, he, if they're, I, I'm, I'm saying if they're of quality. Yes. So the hundred eighty people. I, I would wait to see how good a quality the, the options are there. Well, I get a lot of DMs from players in Africa wanting me to arrange trials with the Whitecaps, yeah. which uh, I, I think they misunderstand. Yeah. I was, I was going to say the exact same thing, Michael. I can tell you the number of people who message either myself or some of the supporters I know about trying to get them uh, you know, a deal with the Whitecaps. You'd be surprised, or or former players reaching reaching out and asking oh, really? about prospects. Yeah, it, oh, I mean, I had a, 180 I, is 180 is it's nothing. It's again, that's like PR to make it sound like lots of people are interested and they're yeah. excited, which is good. And you're right, there probably are some, uh, there are probably are some good prospects in the in that that significant amount of a number. It, it but it doesn't matter until they actually like who they actually bring in right like that's all that matters well yeah i i had a guy about 78 years ago asking me to help for tryout and he was working in a warehouse yeah and he was like he was like 22 years old or 21 years old he wasn't even he, had, he, and he wasn't even on a team at that point and jamie vardy was working in a factory making prosthetic limbs now look at him anyway maybe maybe jimmy vardy will apply we'll get a player manager <laughs> Um, as for the new boss, now Axel, he's not ruling out a domestic coach. He's not saying it's going to be a foreign coach. It all boils down to experience and knowledge of having a similar player pool. And what he means by that is MLS, there's a lot of domestic players, which Axel said is at a different level, different experience, different education probably different skill if we're being honest than what maybe some of the European coaches are, are used to, to coming through the ranks there. So he needs somebody that's used to working with a similar domestic player pool, but he also wants somebody that understands all the logistics of MLS. The fact that there is the travel, that there's all these different altitudes and heat and everything like that, all the player mechanisms, the fact that you can't just go out and spend 20 million, 30 million on a player to make your team better because that's not how things work with the, the salary cap. So he's needing somebody that maybe not necessarily has the experience but understands that this is what they're coming to. And a very telling thing, Zach, is he said, we're not going to be 
they, they have to be able to work with the budget that they've got. And he said, we're not going to be going and splashing and making five big new signings. This is our player pool. We'll strengthen it a little, but we're not basically blowing this team up. This is what we're working with and we're building on it going forward. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, that's really important for them and their their discussions with, with whoever's going to be their new coach that they're, they are transparent with them. Because the person coming in if needs to know what their what their what the possibilities are in terms of that, right? Because every coach wants, I mean, every coach wants to bring in some players, right? Or wants to yeah. strengthen shrink their team once they've evaluated it themselves in person. So, um, yeah, they need to be really uh, aware of what the possibilities or limitations are. Which will put some folk off, Steve, as well, because they're thinking, oh, maybe. Don't, don't have the control that I, I would want coming into this. But I, I do like that. The last thing yeah. we need is something getting blown up again. But yeah. it does sound like this is actually going to possibly be the best position the club are in for hiring a coach in all these years because they know exactly what they want. Yeah, they have talent and everything like that. For me, there's like, out of all the positions, I only see like one starter that they might need to upgrade, one starting position. Other than that, it's really strengthening the bench and having more depth on the bench other than that. And so it's not going to be like a high spending off season. Um, it might be just shifting money around and getting mm. the right players in the right spots. Yeah. Now we had a chat there on the last show. Lots of fans are saying we can't go for another low level manager. We've had Martin Rennie, Carl Robinson, Mark DeSantis. We need someone that's proven at a higher level. So, I mean, as Axel asked there, what do you class as a higher level than MLS and we won't get into all that just now because that's a huge debate but for him he said it's the big five leagues and he thinks MLS is pretty much under that and he said even in the big five leagues there's clubs that's not as good as what you would find in MLS so the chances of getting somebody from one of those big five leagues is small so you probably are looking at what some fans might class as lower level well, to be honest, the majority of fans are not even going to know who the coach is, no matter, unless it's like a high, high. Like yeah, if they haven't been in the coach. Premier League or something yeah, like that, so, they probably won't. The, obviously, the hardcore supporters, the they, they'll know exactly who these guys are. But for me, I have a feeling they'll probably go with somebody that has MLS experience um, and, and knows the MLS. And like you mentioned before in your article, uh, Jason Christ would probably be the number one. Uh, that comes to mind because he has been assistant for a while. He has, hasn't been a head coach for a while, which is a little concerning, but uh, I think that that's, that's the type of coach. Yeah. That His star was waning a little bit when he kind of went away, but he's a guy that has brought through a lot of young talent and this yeah, and, and, seems and to be the key thing. And, and they could find out how much he, yeah, influence he had on this Orlando team that's doing well in this. Mm. So, so that obviously is a good sign for him. So, Michael, does all this all this means like Vanny Sartini is not going to be a long term option, right? I I would say not. But no. we we did mention the fact like sometimes a coach like Brian Schmetzer can come from basically nowhere, and I I know he'd had that experience before. But I mean, when when he got the job, before oh, he he can't take over that job. He's not going to do anything. And then I mean, it happens. I Wait, mean, you, Schmetzer, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that surprised by Smetzer. Really? No, I, I think I, I, I was because I thought they would go more for a high-profile guy just because of the market that they were in. 
I was surprised just because the, the, the place that they were in, but I wasn't surprised mm. at what he did based on having witnessed him do some pretty solid things in at the lower levels with the Sounders. But I mean, like I'll, you said, like you said before, Sartini's more of a coach educator. Yeah. And I think that he's more valuable in that position. And that's probably why they bought him in the first place. Yeah. Going to be having a, a chat with Vanny on Friday. So we'll bring you that in the, the next episode. So looking forward to, to, to that and getting some of his perspective on stuff. But I mean, Axel says ultimately the new coach has to have a proven record of making teams better. It's not going to be the mass spending spree, but if they need to spend money on the coach, they are prepared to do that. But at the same time, and I do like what Axel says here, I know some fans will be like, oh, here we go, cheap, cheap, cheap. If, if a coach is only going to come here because of the money on offer, he is not the coach you want. If the coach is only going to come here because he th- thinks he likes the lifestyle of Vancouver, that is not the coach you want. You want a coach that's really invested in what the club's trying to do and to take it in the next level. Of course the money's going to help. But, I mean, Ryan Gold, whether you believe him or not, said he didn't come here for the money. He came here because of how the club was sold to him and what this project was. And that's what you kind of want the next coach to be. Yeah, it's how, yeah. It's how, it's how much you believe in the pillar stones. Yeah, but like, I'm like, come on, he's making what, like two to four times what he made on his oh, last yeah. contract? I, I, or... I believe money definitely played a, an aspect yeah. of it, but I yeah. do agree, like with Axel, it's like, if that's all that's motivating the coach, you don't want that coach here. No, but there's a difference between what's motivating the coach and what what the coach is worth. Yes, and he does say that the money that is available for the coach will be tempting to a number of top coaches, so I mean, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Now, just to wrap this bit up, player-wise, it doesn't look like there's going to be another DP added in this period. They can still add a free agent until the roster freeze mid-September. It does sound, though, that if the right player, to, to use Axel's words, if they played poker and lost, as in trying to get a new deal before the European transfer window closed, it sounds like he'd have no objection to adding a player for the rest of this season that would be a win-win for the club and the player. Oh. I, I'm I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. Ideally, hopefully in the striking department, because I think we do need a little bit of backup there. No, I, I'm more interested in finding somebody that possibly can help out in midfield, because with Kyle gone for the year. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's a good point, Steve. That's true. Um. So ne- next up is Austin. We'll cover that at the weekend. It's going to be an interesting lineup. We won't delve into a preview for that. Javane Brown called up by Jamaica off his own accord. He went off and joined the group. Actually played tonight in the second half of their game against Mexico. We're going to come to that in the next part. But before we get to that, it's time now for our Artist of the Month. Our new Artist of the Month for September. And I've gone back to Scotland. What what would you expect? Friend of the show, Word SOS from Edinburgh. We've played him a number of times over the years, but we've never had him a, as Artist of the Month. So I thought I would bring you a kind of career-spanning month of songs from Word, but we're going to kick it off with his brand new single. You can get it in all the usual places. Check it out on Bandcamp as well, word.bandcamp.com. We're going to play it in full. It's two and a half minutes. Enjoy. Word SOS. Echo. <laughs> Superman on the beat 
SOS, our new Artist of the Month for September here at AFTN, his new single Echo. You can check it out on bandcamp.com, word.bandcamp.com. Check him out as well on Apple, Spotify, all the usual places. Got a lot more to come from Word this month. Hope you enjoy it. But I mean, I, the, the lyrics to the song there, hoping for heaven, ended up in hell kind of ties in with Canada, what we were hoping for from their opening octagon clash in Toronto on Thursday evening as Canada took on Honduras. And it was a disappointing result in the end. It was a one-all draw. I mean, after all the excitement, all the hype, all the chat about this golden generation, the best way to look at this, I think, Zach, is it was a massive wake-up call. Yeah, that's what we were talking about in the chat. It, it has to be that for Canada. It's very, very clear and understandable that in the, what do we call the ocho or the op- octagon? Octagon. Octopus. Um, you need to win your home games yeah. and get some results on the road to be in those top three teams. And um, it was it was disappointing. I, I, I think, I don't know if it was both of you guys messaging, but uh, they had enough 
going in the first half that they didn't turn into goals. And that I think really, really cost them. So it, it really kind of a bit frustrating uh, occasion for what was an exciting occasion. First time in this since qualifying for, I think France 98. And the first time we made it to this, this stage of qualifying and it was, they, they came up, I think a little bit short or they came up too short. I mean, the, I, I don't want to say they shot the bed. Because I no. think we maybe got a little bit carried away, Steve, with, with some of the hype here. Well, I actually forgot really. how good... Well, yeah, you didn't. <laughs> but forgot how good Honduras actually can be as a team. And let's be honest here. Honduras looked good tonight, especially in that first half. They did what they needed to do. And they knew how to deal with Canada's threats. Well, they, I think they looked all right. I think Canada, if they had connected on those shots, like they... they created 15 shots towards goal, but only got three again on goal. And I think if there were some really good opportunities that if they had just got it on net, I think they would have scored multiple. Um, so I think they were good enough. And I think that was the biggest thing. Um, like you speaking of the golden generation of people labeling this goal, let them win something first before yep. they even get to that point. But to this be fair, a- the players have said that themselves. It's like, we can't be called that until we actually do something. Like the, the, like even other teams like the, the other like Belgium for example being called the golden generation they have they haven't won anything yeah they, they, I don't, don't they, keep, to, they keep shit in the bed don't you have to win something to be golden or something like yeah. that before you get so I um, I would say so so um essentially this is this was a disappointing they they needed the three points especially like with the uh, they needed at least like. I felt like they needed for like either a win and a draw or uh, uh, two wins out of these first three games. And I, I mean, uh, I would say two wins because I think you have wins. to win these two home games. Yeah, it feels do. like a big moment already in, in, in qualifying in terms of Canada. Not as bad when we look at the rest of the results tonight because yeah. it's there's now a, a lot of parity. But but they need to they need to essentially make up these two points now on the road. Yeah, mm-hmm. they need to make these two up. Whether picking up a draw against the U.S. in this next game, uh, the problem is the U.S. is coming off a draw against El Salvador, so they'll be packed yeah. up as well to get a result. I mean, um, going if they can go to Honduras and get a draw, I I think that helps because that kind of negates yeah. everything. Then, yeah, I mean, Honduras yeah. are going to come away from this with cock a hoop, really. Yeah, but again, I, I I feel like especially if you look at possession, sixty six to thirty four. That's a dominating possession. I mean, the sec- second half was dominant by Canada, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's what you do with that. And I mean, yeah. the thing, it was sloppy in the first half, Zach, and it was a clear penalty that Tijon Buchanan gave away. No doubts about that at all. Yeah, it was, like I said before, they didn't they didn't create clear enough chances and they didn't take the ones that they did. Yeah. Um, and then you're right. That, that was a... Uh, I know Tejon has played at fullback and he's played back and done defending little lots, especially under uh, what we've seen with him with Bruce Arena in New England. But um, it was not a good challenge. Yeah, it was just not a good, it was a poorly timed challenge. And it was, it felt not like a, you know, sometimes the commentator would say it was a, it was a forwards challenge, you know, Michael, it wasn't like that. It was just, I think just poorly timed. Well, I mean, even yeah. Gareth Wheeler admitted it was a penalty. So, I mean, it was clearly a penalty. Since No, I, I first thought it was a clean shoulder to shoulder, but then you saw the leg uh, contact and that was the clear yeah. uh, part of it that uh, needed a penalty. Uh, if Canada could 
have got an equaliser before half time, it would have been a whole different story that that we're talking they, about. But to be honest, they had a, they had a great chance just before oh, the, the half. Yeah, yeah. they did. I mean, but I mean, to be honest, when we got that penalty in the second half, I thought, yeah, going to go on. There's lots of time oh, left. Yeah. We're going to go on and do it. And that was a clear penalty as well. And it was tucked away nicely, despite Honduras doing everything that they possibly could to have as big a delay as possible. But I mean, that that was a to me that was a, another clear penalty. But I mean, you think Canada would go on then and get the job done? And in the end, Honduras crashed one off the post. That's like that yeah. was a that was a big let off as well. One one question for you: I, I didn't have the the, the halftime co- um, commentary or anything on. And most of the second half, I didn't have it on either. Oh, I, I actually had to sign down in the second okay. half. What my, was, my wife couldn't take anymore. Was Buchanan's substitution at halftime solely tactical? Yes. Okay. Because uh, they, they needed to have Hoylett on to try and add a bit more spark. Yeah. Because he did the one thing about one thing other than the poor challenge from Buchanan is he was like totally caught flat footed on that play. Like, not, I'm not saying he it was a lazy play, but he was flat footed on a, a simple give and go. Um, so I, I just wonder if there was anything else that he not, had. Not that, not that I've seen. Yeah. The, I mean, if we're asking what went wrong, Steve, for me in the first half, there was a lot of giveaways. It was sloppy play by Canada. We know how dangerous Canada are on the wings. So did Honduras. And they managed that well. But Honduras seemed to control the middle of the pitch. Yeah. And I know you're always big on, on midfield and stuff, but... It was so easy for them to take the ball away from Canada and then get something going through the middle. And we just had no one really closing them down. And we've spoken for a while now in these other games that they've got through against lesser nations, that once you come up against a team, and this is like the Whitecaps as well, once you come up against a team that is taking chances and slightly better quality, teams are going to punish you. And I think that's what happened in the first half. But, I mean, where, where do you think it, it, it went wrong in the end? Were they just outfought or just not taking their chances enough? Well, the thing is, is the the thing, one thing that troubled me was that it didn't feel like they had enough people in the midfield. Like, you expected another player. Mm. Like, I, I felt it was weird because they were playing three at the back, it seemed like. Uh, but then you had Richie Larea, Tejan Buchanan, and Alfonso Davies, all three wide players. So why do you... Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed odd that they didn't like you had people on the bench like uh, Mark Anthony K and, yep. and uh, John, Jonathan Osario that could have been uh, a little bit more of an option in the midfield. So that's where I, I question a little bit of the tactics. I, I I totally do as well. And I mean, it feels sometimes, Zach, that John Herdman's just wanting to get as many of his attacking pieces on the pitch as possible. And sometimes things like the midfield go by the wayside for for that regard. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. And you a can't fair... blame him in some ways because no. it's an exciting attacking core, but you've yeah. still got to take care of the fundamentals in the middle. Yeah, he he has an embarrassment in the riches going forward. Uh, defending hasn't been great. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little surprised that you know I, mean, I know why, but I was a little surprised Kennedy didn't play. Yeah. Um, but I was even more surprised then when he came on. But he played on a striker, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, so it does, yeah. Multiple times in the games, you felt like the tactics were very fluid. Like, and so, like Steve was saying, the 
the midfield wasn't as like um uh solid i guess just solid it wasn't as solid or, as we're used to yeah it wasn't as like organized as yeah as, as, yeah you know. and someone like a k or an Osorio would have done that even a p even a piet who was further down yeah. the packing order you think would have helped also there's only two subs made yeah, yes. that was the biggest yeah. surprise, uh, thing, especially when you're playing like three days later. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that is because a lot of these guys on the bench are now going to start against the US. We'll come to that in a sec. Let, let's actually play a little bit of the post-game audio from jo John Herdman, just with, with some of his thoughts about how the match played out and where in his mind things maybe went wrong a little bit. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's sort of a game that you you got to take three points out at home, but you know we'll take a point after after the performance. It was a, definitely a game of, of two halves from what you've seen out there. I thought the players started strong, but really, really proud of of the resilience they showed in that second half. I think they were able to settle settle their nerves. We made some tactical changes at half time and more importantly I just think that, that that if they can carry that sort of spirit and resilience through we've seen you know this is this is going to be a great great journey for the team you said before the game you thought it might take uh, your team a few minutes to get into the the rhythm of things what did you think of the early going it's a pretty frenetic evening yeah, it was. It was there. I thought the first 15 minutes we, we started well and it looked like, you know, we were going to create something. And then you've seen, you know, what they're about. They're very good in that attack and transition. Um, you know, the minute you lose the ball, they're, they're swarming. And I thought we, we weathered some of their storms well, but it was just that middle of the first half. We, um, we just got too static. The tempo was slow. You could sense the just that lack of chemistry with with that that group quite a lot of new faces playing together so game one on on a journey a marathon of 14 um that second half is is what i'll look to i mean i'm again neil proud proud of just how they responded because you, you could sense they were coming in at half time and they were you know pissed off with the referee they were you know angry with you know bits of the calls and getting frustrated but you know the leaders in the dressing room they steadied the ship and again we just we made some adjustments and i think you got to see the you know the real potential of this team in the second half <laughs> you know that looked like it was a, it was a fun evening i know there was a lot of intensity a lot of anxiety um but that's concacaf world cup qualifying isn't it that you, you need to play those games to understand what they're like and, and you're going to get frustrated with the refs you're going to get uh you know you're going to lose your composure sometimes but how important was it for your team to experience that and now know okay this is what it's like when you're playing life and death the world cup qualifiers yeah it, it, it was <laughs> it was at half time that that's where they felt it it was boys it was almost like coming in at half time like a holy shit moment you know like wow this is this is real um i think i think the, the fantasy was we were going to get out there and it was going to be a, a ticky-tack evening and we were going to score 15 goals by half time. But the reality was, you know, that, that Honduran team were well organized. Their, their medium block, the low block was 
was tight. They, they didn't give anyone an inch. And I thought they thrived on just that lack of, you could feel it, that lack of chemistry, that lack of cohesion in the first half. But as I say, you, you heard the leaders speak at halftime. They really took ownership of what they needed to see. And we made some tactical adjustments with, with Hoylet coming in. And you could just sense we needed that extra player to overload their two midfield screens who had just found it too easy to match up against uh, Johnny and Kyle and, and Fonzie. So, yeah, I, I think those are the experiences. The, the, the piece that, you know, stood out most was Milan at the end. I mean, his, his passion in the huddle was exactly that. For you boys that haven't experienced this before, this is what it's like. <laughs> at times you'll feel like you're playing against 14 players. It was uh, so much passion. But what he did say is, look, this is the next level and we've got to find our next level. And it's the start of a journey and uh, we've got the ability to get better. That's the exciting thing for us. So some thoughts there from John Herdman after that draw with Honduras. Now, I mean, he, he was very upbeat, which, of course, is John Herdman's thing. Proud of their resilience and their second half performance. Totally agree with that. But there, there, there was elements of the game tonight where I feel it maybe shows a little bit of the tactical naivety. And we kind of touched on that in the last part because you want to get your attacking pieces on. But it, it's the ability then to, to switch things up. Herdman also talked, though, about a lot of this, the top guys hadn't been at the Gold Cup. So the, the chemistry wasn't fully there. They weren't fully firing on all cylinders. And, and, I, and I get that. But if that was maybe a worry, maybe... Bring the guys to the Gold Cup. Or or, or the, play the guys. Yeah, play the other guys. Yeah. Which I think we might now see against the US, funnily enough, Steve, because it's going to be tough to bounce back when your next game is the US away. It, it's still, there's a chance, because the US did not look great shakes tonight down in El Salvador. That was a 0-0 draw. Uh, I mean, may as well just quickly go over the other results tonight. I mean, good results for Canada. Panama nil, Costa Rica nil. Mm -hmm. And then El Salvador nil, US nil. And Mexico, who you... Let's be honest, if Mexico don't qualify as one of the top three, that's a major shock. So you kind of just want them to beat everyone that they, they play apart from Canada right now. So they took an 89th minute winner, but they got past Jamaica 2-1. Just keep Mexico winning these games and then taking points from these other things. If Jamaica had got a point from that, that would have been concerning for, for Canada. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that was a pretty, a pretty good set of results for Canada. If they could just have got that, that win themselves. But this, this U S game, what, what are you expecting from it? Because I think a lot of the guys that we did not see come on tonight are going to feature on Sunday and I do wonder, like, he'll never publicly admit this, but whether Herdman might be thinking, you know what, we're probably not going to take anything from this. I want to keep some of the best guys really fit for El Salvador in, in a week's time. 
Yeah, I could see like uh, uh, like I I could see definitely Tejon Buchanan coming uh, being on there, and but uh, other than that, I could there's a very few starters. Some of the uh, the defenders, uh, the center backs, can be probably play a second game, uh, but midfield can be completely swapped, and uh, you might get. Uh, I think one of the strikers will probably play, but I think you can swap one of the other strikers. So I think it's going to be all depending on they they will have a very strong bench. So if they're close in the second half, they could probably bring on some solid players to see if they could get a result mm. out of it. Well, I mean, the weird thing with all of this is they could have named a 26-man squad, but they went with a 22, which is Feels odd. Weird. And they've brought Lucas Cavallini, who is fit. just back in, in full training, flew from Vancouver this morning, was named on the on the graphic as being on the bench, but on the official uh, team list that was handed out at the stadium, he wasn't thankfully listed in that. I do have concerns that they might try and push him back too quick from a Whitecaps perspective. But, I mean, what, what are you expecting on Sunday, Zach? Yeah, it feels like, as, as, as uh, frustrating as it would be to say this or admit this, I mean, it feels like there's one of two things here. He's going to have uh, – he's seeing that there's three games in the, in the short period of time. He, these two home games are must-wins, so you put your best lineups up for those ones, and the other one and the other one, which happens to be away to the U.S., you put out a bit of a, you know, 1A lineup or 1B lineup or whatever. Um, That's what I would do. I'd do that up in, in the three with Mexico as well. Yeah, so – yeah, so not getting the win makes that hurt all the more. All the more, but the one the one upside is I think, like you said, some of those guys who did perform well, like a Kennedy, uh, at uh, at the Gold Cup, mm. might see this as the opportunity. Like they have to prove themselves against the U against the U.S. And uh, so it might have those players kind of up for it, which I think Herdman will be really good at kind of getting getting them up for. Did um, you see Max coming in? Because I'd be surprised if Milan plays all three of these games. Yeah, you, you could, but I think, I think like, obviously Max Max is on the on the doorstep um, for for that number one job. But I could see because he's a keeper, I could see him playing all three. Plus, we didn't talk about it, but he was the catalyst for the goal. Right, he makes a save and he started yeah. the play that led to the penalty. That's true. Um, he had a so, couple of other shaky moments. Yeah, but he yeah. he's not. That's not foreign to him. That's that's no. a, that's Milan being Milan. Yeah. yeah. Also with a Canadian defense in front of him. Yeah. And, and then you you know you were talking about Whitecaps perspective earlier. Are we going to talk about Davy Flores? Oh, yes. And I know he's not as Whitecaps connected, but uh Ramel Kyoto also played a little not, Yeah. Not, well, amazing, but Kyoto not, not endearing himself possibly <laughs> to Montreal fans with some of his his actions tonight, but it would have been in, there was no VAR this yes. there's, there's no var at all how in these there, qualifiers how is there because, no var because there's some countries are not going to be able to have like yeah so why is there var at the world cup finals in because every you have it for every team like it's uh, in one place that 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 yeah. is that is crazy no that's, be that's because, it, because it's a fifa competition and they said only three of the eight countries have the capabilities to to run var it, it, you can't have it it's got to be in every game or or none, so they've gone with none. I don't mind it. I know it's CONCACAF and Canada's probably going to get screwed in some yep, aspect from it. They will. You know they will. But 
I think Canada's getting a little bit more savvy in that regard as well. Little elbows going in tonight, some pushes here and there that would maybe have got some bookings if they'd been, well, maybe not VAR because you wouldn't be doing it on on VAR, but I, I don't mind it, but it is surprising with how the world is going. That's all I'll say. Um, I, I agree with you that in the fairness thing, but it's, I'm surprised they're not like made it mandatory, right? Like, yeah, don't, don't move your games around to different stadiums. Have them at one stadium, have VAR in that stadium. It, I mean, I know there's a cost involved, but surely that, surely if CONCACAF and specifically FIFA can hand out money to countries to help them build pitches and stuff, they can hand out money for something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking of stadiums and stuff, there was just under the maximum 15,000 allowed tonight. They had a, a lot of walk-ins coming up, which was good to see. I get tired, I've spoken about this before, of all this local pissing match, of, oh, we'd have got more at BC Place, etc., etc. Oh, was that, was that happening online? I've avoided the online so yeah. far. It was, yeah. happy, it was happening by your German friend. Yeah, Manuel Veth was like, it would have had more at, at, at uh, I was going to say, at West BC, Hill. At BC uh, Place and... Start, more at Starlight. Like, we probably would, but there's a pandemic on and some folk don't want to be in crowds yet. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, to get that crowd out there, which was basically a capacity, I think like, was good. And like we said again, this is not about where they're playing. It's what's the best benefit to yeah. the team. Yeah, that's what so, so many folk so, are missing in this. So if the teams, if the U.S. is going to play in the East, Nashville, yeah, and, and and the majority of players are coming from Europe, yeah, you play in the East, the closest place. Exactly. Uh, we, we yeah, we I agree with you, Steve. I mean, we we, we broke we, down this, and we said for these first two lots of games, Toronto makes sense. Yeah. For the next well, couple of games, Toronto makes and, sense too. And all clearly, the, these people are not listening to our podcast. No, they, they need no, to. But all these people in general, they just they, they uh, yeah, you, they have to. I mean, this, all this. Online pissing contest doesn't help anyone. It's one of the most tiresome things in Canadian yeah. football. Like, like friendlies, I can understand. Friendlies, you know, you 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 should play them in other places, not just BMO Field. Yeah, but but these are World Cup qualifiers. You play them where it's beneficial to the players. Yeah, yeah. Now, if if we get none of these games at BC Place and they come out and say it's because the players say they want this. Fine, I'm to- yes. I'll be pissed off, I'll be disappointed, but the players have said they want that, so that's go with that. Yeah. Anyway, that's one of my rants. Let's just wrap off our, our wrap up, our chat about the, the national team games by saying they are all, 14 of them, going to be available to watch on Sportsnet or TSN. 13 on Sportsnet, one on TSN. A deal has been struck. The vast majority of people that are not signing up to one soccer can now watch these games. Tonight might not have been a great first example of this great team that we're talking about, but I think it's very important that this happened. Kudos to Sportsnet. I've been critical of them in the past. They've stood up. They've got it done. The games will also be in one soccer as well. I'd maybe prefer Sportsnet to get their own commentary team in, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen. But I think this was a very important move. Great to see, Zach. Well, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is, Michael, they ponied up, right? Yeah. For for years and years, like I think Monvik was saying, you know, they had to pay to get their games on TV. Yes. Now people want to see it and you've got to pay to have it. So I don't know all the ins and outs and other than that, it's a simulcast, but I don't know all the ins and outs of the costs and whatever, but I'm... I'm happy that more people will be able to watch them. And 
Um, I don't, uh, I'm happy for CSB that they're making, they're going to make some money on their investment in Canadian football. I, I didn't see the start of everything tonight, Steve, but at halftime, it was the one soccer halftime show. But as soon as the full-time whistle went, Sportsnet went to their own people in, yeah, the, in the studio. Well, that's what they paid for, right? They yeah. Pay for the thing. So, yeah, I, 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 my only concern is that um, one soccer doesn't really get that many uh, subscriptions um, because people find out like the quality of the play-by-play. Yeah, I, I got be... a lot of messages tonight by people that had never heard Gareth Wheeler before. And they were not impressed. Yeah, and now they know what we were, t- we were talking about. Yeah. I mean, the first time I heard Gareth Wheeler was uh, doing, um, he would do like World Cup World Cup games, or he wouldn't like announce at halftime. At halftime, yeah, of. on the radio and they from TSN or whatever, he'd be doing. Yeah, like and he was good. He was good at that. He was I okay at that. It. Yeah, he was, it was. But this play by play does not suit him. What do you? What do you? What do you? And think the fact about- that. And the fact that when you got a guy like Pete Shad who isn't really doing anything right now and you're not even approaching him, yeah, uh, that's kind of criminal. Michael, what did you think about your your friend uh, Terry Dunfield's uh, uh, color commentary? I didn't hear a lot of it. I I had to sit right. down for most of the second half. I turned it up when it was the penalty and then put it back a little bit to to hear what they said. That whole call was way too over the top for my liking. Now, I know folk will probably hate when I do colour commentary. That's fine. Folk will like me, folk won't like me. But one thing I do is I am not about homerism. And it's like, I call it as it is. And I I just thought that was way over the top. Well, because they were saying Honduras one wasn't a penalty or something? No, no. Just the, they were so excited. It was like fans going, oh, oh, yes, here we go. It's a penalty. It's a penalty. It's like the English commentators that I hate. So, I mean, there's that. The The one big complaint I have, though, is that this was all announced the day before where people will have ponied up for one soccer subscriptions. And I was saying to people that for the Pacific Whitecaps game, I was like, look, get your one-month subscription yeah. and it'll cover all the Canada games as well. So that isn't ideal. But there is a, a lot of folk that subscribe to one soccer probably won't have cable. So there's there's that element of it as well i guess but anyway but it's great it's on tv it's great that i can watch it without crashing or having to refresh my website or be half half 30 seconds behind half a minute behind on my roku stick which it seems to be the sunday game is on tsn with espn it is they dealt with espn and they bought the rights for that but that is the the only one that tsn have be interesting to see how much coverage they they give the team now Anyway, but that is pretty much it for tonight's show. Just before we go, though, it's September. You know what that means. It's Football Violence Awareness Month. It's back. We're having it in March and September, twice a year, because I've got that many songs. And we're kicking it off with a, a band we've featured before in Wavelength. Swiss band. Kind of tying in a little bit with Axel. They're very similar. Switzerland and Germany. Both make good chocolate. Vanilla muffins. I'm sure they make good vanilla muffins as well, but that is the name of the band. This is a song from the 2014 album, A Little Bit of Night Music, Eine Kleine Nacht Music. This is Modern Football Sucks, Death of a Hooligan.
Vanilla Muffins from 2014, Modern Football Sucks, Death of a Hooligan. And we'll have more for Football Violence Awareness Month in the coming episodes. But that is it for this midweek show. Hope you've enjoyed it. Some good chat about the Whitecaps, some good chat about Canada. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online, Steve. Anything you've learned this week or any final thoughts? Um, you can catch me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And um, what I learned this week was Dunfield and Friends were too cock-a-hoop for uh, Michael's liking. Yeah, I normally I, I like Teddy Dunfield's cock-a-hoop, but not, not this week. Zach? You can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM, and I learned that uh, the uh, the journey is going to be a long one through this World Cup qualifying, and I'm sure yes. Canadians still have strong feelings towards Honduras. Yes, hashtag FH, and yeah, it, it's going to be a long, exciting World Cup qualifying campaign. Lots of twists and turns, I am pretty sure. It's going to make it all exciting. If all the games, if the the top three, top four spots all went down to the last game. How exciting would that be? I'm not sure it'd be good for for Steve because Steve doesn't like watching Canada when it's too much on the line. Yeah. Uh, I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff AFTN.ca Give us a like, follow, subscribe etc. on YouTube. YouTube.com backslash AFTN Canada and give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. I just want to go by giving a, a an RIP. We do this a lot on, on the show, but I just wanted to say RIP to Daphne, a wrestler that I loved back in the old WCW days. Shannon Spruill, unfortunately, passed away on Wednesday evening. And, yep, just thoughts go out to her friends and her family. And rest in peace, Shannon. But we'll be back with our midweek show. Blah. But we'll be back with our weekend show. We'll be talking Whitecaps against Austin. We'll be talking US-Canada. Hopefully two wins to talk about. I guess we'll find out. We'll be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Mon the Caps and Allez La Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.